I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. If I bleed tonight, if I am sad tonight, I don't have a job to find. And if I work tonight, I'm so tired tonight, I'll fall asleep when I'm home, when I'm Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of the Power Slam podcast here on Patreon a day early or wherever you get your podcasts on Friday. My name is Kenny, joined as always by Mr. Finley Martin Finn. How are you doing? This, a very early morning recording for us, which is which I asked for, which is very rare. Well, that's it, Kenny. You're off on your uh, travels again to um, the big smoke, London. Yes, yes, indeed. So, How come yeah. you're going down on the Thursday? Uh, because we've got some friends in London who don't watch wrestling, so we're going to catch up with them t- tonight. And then there's a press morning tomorrow, or press afternoon tomorrow. So, um, so that's, yes, that's why we decided to go down so early. So, luck- luckily, we did. Otherwise, if we'd have been going down tomorrow and the press day was tomorrow, we'd have to change plans. So, it's worked out in the end. So I, yeah. I would give away who's on the press morning, but you know what it's like these things. You don't want to jinx it because then if there's somebody really good, they don't turn up. <laughs> then you're left going, oh, I thought I was going to get that person. Yes. Um, but um, yeah, and I, I I mean, it's very, I got a chance to watch some of Dynamite last night. Just a couple of thoughts that I had. Um, there was a contract signing to Osprey and Jericho. I thought it was very good. They sold the match pretty well. And that, so that's good. Um, and there was the only uh, change, I guess, for All In is that uh, obviously we knew that Phoenix, Ray Phoenix is not able to make the trip because of visa issues. Okay. So he's been written out of the show. Uh, but the, the two the two people who are joining the Blackpool Combat Club are the returning Santana and Ortiz. So they're back. With- okay, it seems like. Uh, in fact, was it in blood and guts that Santana suffered the injury? I think it was, wasn't it? Was yeah, it- yeah. No, blood and guts. Yeah, it was blood and guts. Yeah, blood and guts 2022. Wow. I mean, that's 
I mean, not because it was, I think it was, was it an ACL? It was a serious knee injury, I believe. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. I mean, you forget how long it can take, or this is a reminder of how long it can take for these people to recover from these injuries. I mean, we see Dakota Kai out there. You think, oh, wow, she'll be back in the ring next week. Well, she won't be. She can walk around, but she's not ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the thing. It's like, you know, you, you forget. And he, I mean, he put a post up on his Instagram, this I guess, late last night. And he kind of said, you know, it's been a very long journey to getting back to this, to do this again. So, you know, it's got to be pretty good for him that he's got back just in time for Wembley. So, yeah, I mean, I hope they use those guys right this time, because I believe that I think it was Santana was ready to quit. He was ready to go. He was really disgruntled with the way that AEW was using him. And I don't blame him. You know, they were a hell of a team in, you know, TNA. And I just don't feel like they've ever been used to the, um, you know, the fullness of their potential in AEW. But, you know, maybe, maybe, well, this is a golden opportunity for them to communicate the message to Tony Khan. Listen, we're ready to go. You know, we're here to perform. Give us a shot. You know? So it's a two-way street also in pro wrestling, isn't it? Yeah, they've they've got to hold up their end of the bargain. But I think the good thing for them is whoever wins the the Young Bucks FTR match, and we'll do our predictions on the overrun, whoever wins that, they're going to need some fresh opponents. So Santana and Ortiz are well worthy of a of a you know a run with the tag champs and potentially a tag title run down the line. So yeah, good to see them back and hopefully they can uh you know, yeah, make it count this time and, and Tony Khan is able to give them more. I mean, at least they're not with Jericho anymore, which is good because, you know, Jericho's a big name and, you know, you're kind of his sidekick, if you're with Well, him. exactly. Absolutely. You so, are. I mean, in some cases, being Jericho's sidekick is not the worst thing. I mean, no, I mean, I for Jake how... Hager's good gig. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, I do wonder how some members of the former Jericho Appreciation Society are going to fare. I think they're going to really struggle. But there's been other occasions when being Jericho's sidekick, I think, has held people back. So, um, and certainly in the case of Santana and Ortiz. Yeah, for sure. Um, but obviously the big news for today for the, the podcast is sad news. Um, it is the last night Terry Funk passed away, age 79. Um, every, you know, the tribute is pouring in for him from everybody you can think of. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think people kind of knew that it was coming or sensed it was coming just based on kind of his health in recent months and stuff. But yeah, um, yeah what did you make of the news? And I guess, you know, let's talk about Terry Funk and what he means and has meant to wrestling. Yeah, I mean, I know there's some photos posted of him. It was his birthday in June. He turned 79 in June and there were some post uh, photos posted of him online and, he, you know, he'd obviously lost a lot of weight, looked frail. Um, so, you know, not enormous surprise. Um, but, you know, really sad news. Another one of the all-time greats leaves us. Kenny Savage, Piper, Dusty, Jack Briscoe, Halle Race, Nick Bockwinkle. Mm. We almost lost Jerry Lawler, what, twice? Yep. And, um, you know, there's there's not many of these old, you know, these old greats left. So, um, you know, but what a guy. You know, I mean, you know, always, um, always made things more interesting wherever he went. And he went basically everywhere. Yeah, he I mean, this... It was almost nowhere he did. I mean, he went to basically every major company on planet Earth. You know, even New Japan, you know, he'd been in all Japan stalwart and retired for the first time in uh, August of 1983. You know, his famous retirement tour. This was 
something that I think he conceived um, at the height of the All Japan, New Japan War in the early 1980s, which was as bitter as WCW versus WWF in the late 1990s. And um, Terry came up with this idea that he'd do this retirement tour. Then he'd have this retirement match, um, August 31st, 1983. Um, and that would give all Japan like a fighting chance of, you know, staying in business, you know, and keeping the crowds coming in to see him wrestle. And of course, he he returned to action the following year. So um, a lot of people in Japan were upset about that. A lot of fans were upset. They felt that Terry had... He, you know, given them their word that this would be it and that he would not wrestle again. And, you know, they paid to see him on this retirement tour. And then he returned in 84, <laughs> tour of 84, uh, and was back in the ring um, for all Japan, actually, in November of 84. Um, but, I mean, that was something that Terry Funk was famous for, wasn't it, Kenny, retiring? He did it better than anybody else, <laughs> the, the amount of retirements he had. But I mean, it was it was funny because of my first my first experience of him was in WWF, and I guess it would be late '97. I think he came in in late '97. Yes, uh, that's it. With Cactus just chainsaw Charlie, right? Oh no, yes. well actually, he had his first run, didn't he? As that was the uh, shotguns famous shotgun Saturday night appearance, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, the shotgun Saturday night and Royal Rumble '97 kind of one-off appearance, which I did share on Twitter by the way. If you've not seen it, which is is great fun. Um, and you posted a, a part of you interviewed him right for Power Slam, where you asked him about that infamous uh, tirade that he had. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but then when he came back in the December as Chainsaw Charlie, um, and I was saying this to you last night when we were texting about it. That I think even if you were my age. That or you know whether you discovered him doing the WWF stuff here, or whether you discovered him in ECW in the nineties, or even if you discovered him in WCW in two thousand, like you could still tell why people thought of him so much. He was just a very captivating guy to watch, and um, yeah, I, I I mean you know I saw somebody last night say this, and it was kind of I mean, it's crazy to think about it. Somebody was listing all of his accomplishments, and let me just find the the list I mean, here. That'll take a while. Well, but I mean, you know, so, so this, for example, right? Terry Funk uh, worked ECW pay per views, War Games, the Tokyo Dome, WrestleMania, King of the Death Match, New Japan in the Fukuoka Dome, Smoky Mountain, his retirement show, and Kawasaki Stadium. That's not across his whole career, just in the four years after turning 50. And you think, wow, like doing all that, and that's just, you know, in your later years is wild. But. Yeah, and and it almost became, he was the only one who managed to get away with kind of people finding him endearing with his continued retirements. I feel like a lot of people didn't really get away with that as much as he did. But... Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, at, thir- at first, I mean, certainly the when he returned in eighty four, that did upset a lot of people. And it's like when you become a legend in your industry, people are more forgiving. Yeah. You know, you can get away with more. Um, but I mean, I mean, towards the end of his career when he, after he'd retired, I think was it about a dozen times or maybe more. I think he lost count. He didn't know the exact number. And some of them weren't proper retirements. Like he always, I remember when I first interviewed him for Power Sam, which was in 95 for issue 12. And we talked about his WCW, um, the end of his run WCW as a wrestler. And he lost the I Quit match to uh, Ric Flair at the end of their legendary 1989 feud. And they had uh, I Quit Match, the Clash of the Champions, New York knockout. And Terry Funk didn't think that that was going to be a retirement match. And he was like, 
what? So I'm retired and they put him in the commentary, behind the commentary desk. And so he ended up working behind the scenes and um, he wasn't really satisfied with that. And, you know, the call of the ring was too strong and there was offers there. You know, he ended up working for Memphis and ended up returning to Japan and did stuff for Tri-State. Then ECW came along and was with them in 93. And he just did also, I mean, he ended up doing a match at Slamboree 94 for WCW. So they brought him back again. And, um, you know, so he was somebody that I think as the years passed, people didn't take his retirement seriously. So they didn't feel duped by them. So they're almost like it was Terry being Terry, you know. Here he goes again. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It was just him sort of almost, um, it was almost everyone was in on the joke. I think that was the way it was as the years passed. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is when uh, his wife, Vicky, who was famously in Beyond the Mat with him, died in 2019 and you find with a lot of kind of older wrestlers that if the you know if, if god forbid their wife passes away it's very difficult for them to to get on after that and i know that in 2021 uh, it was kind of it, it, i don't want to say the word exposed but it was kind of public knowledge that he was battling dementia i think he was in assisted living for a while so I mean, you know, he's because he, I was trying to think. So the last match he had, according to Cage Match, was 2017. Yes, where he did a a, beat, a, a big time wrestling six man. Well, he did a couple of big time wrestling six man tags um, with the Rock and Roll Express against Brian Christopher, Doug Gilbert, and Jerry Lawler. So, um, I mean, 2017 is your last match when he would have been 73. 73 years, born in 44. Yeah. So, I mean, that's. Some, I mean, I, I don't necessarily know if those matches should be, you know, put on put online and and be what people remember him for. But I mean, he did have that because his last kind of, I guess his last big match would have been the, the ECW One Night Stand thing with Edge and Mick Foley and stuff. That was kind of his last big stage match. I would say so. Yeah, I um, would say so. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, in terms of because if you, I was, I was. Interested to see so many different people tweeting who were, you know, my age, a little bit younger. It seemed that his kind of there's, there's t- there tends to be some older wrestlers who people don't check out their old stuff. But Funk seems to be one that people do. The Flair stuff being, I guess, the the biggest example of what people do go back and watch because that that eighty nine stuff with him and Flair is just it's another level. Oh, absolutely! You know, he made he was one of the ringside judges for the final match of the Steamboat versus Flair feud and uh, that was a music city showdown and um so Flair regained the bell and you know Flair essentially turned babyface and it was all very pleasant and then Terry Funk one of the judges comes in the ring and you know con- ostensibly is there to congratulate Rick but he then instead then throws out a challenge to him and Flair's like, well, you know, hold on a minute, you know, we've got a top ten, you're not in the top ten, you've been acting you know, you've been, you know, he was in Roadhouse and, you know, Paradise Alley. That was actually in the 70s. But he was he did quite a lot of acting gigs in the 80s. So Flair very reasonably said, listen, Terry, you're not in the top 10. You know, my next challenge is going to be somebody in, in the NWA or WCW's top 10. Mm-hmm. And uh, Terry said, so what you're saying is you're saying I'm not good enough. Aren't you, Rick? You said I'm not good enough. <laughs> you sort of like sense that like something is turning, you know, the mood's turning. You know, kind of like when you're in a pub and you're like thinking, mm, 
Happily, I don't go in those pubs where fights kick off anymore. But you know when you sense that the atmosphere and the mood is turning, you're like, yeah. you're going to retreat, <laughs> and you're like, time to go. And um, you know, and then folks like, oh, you know, uh, you know, he kind of backs down, but people are like, hold on a minute, there's something afoot here. You know, put it here, put it there, Rick. You know, I just want to say, well done. And then he punches him, and it's a massive beat down, and pal drives him on a table at ringside, and people genuinely fought. People genuinely thought that Flair had suffered a broken neck. And uh, on commentary, Jim Ross, he broke his neck in a plane crash in 1975. Oh, my God, Terry Funk's gone crazy. And it was incredible performance by Funk. I mean, could be, you know, one of the greatest heel turns ever. And, um, you know, Flair really sold it. He took a lot of time off. And then they came back and had the match at the Great American Bash, which was just amazing and did like a really good buy rate by WCW standards. And that feud ran from, you know, July through to um, November when they had the I Quit match. And, um, you know, it did like really good business by WCW standards at the time. So, um, and a lot of that was just down to Funk and the amazing, you know, level of energy and villainy and menace that he brought to the role and to being a heel and, you know, finally, of course, put Flair over as he always did. I mean, he was always as good as his reputation. Funk would always do business. He would always put the guy over in the end. And um, that was something that he was, you know, highly respected for as well. Not being difficult, always being there to work and help and, you know, make the people who were staying into bigger stars when it was time for him to leave. You know, he was somebody that lots of people in the industry looked up to. Ted DiBiase, for instance. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um, Terry Funk was like a mentor to him. I remember reading an interview, I think it was in the Pro Wrestling Torch with Ted DiBiase from 94, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And DiBiase said he was he didn't know whether or not to accept the gig um, that was offered to him that would become the million dollar man in the WWF in 1987. And he was like, yeah. oh, you know, I've got this, you know, I'm great deal here with, with Bill Watts and I'm working all Japan and it's good money. You know, I'm really respected and I like the people I work with. And like going to work for Vince, it's like going to work for the enemy and it's a completely different environment. Do I want it? And um, Vince wouldn't tell Ted what the gimmick was because he would only tell him after he'd signed the contract. And Ted said that he ran Terry Funk up and he's like, what do I do? And Funk said, you know, listen, this guy's just drawn 
like 93,173 fans, even though that wasn't the real number. So, you know, it's just <laughs> done that huge crowd for WrestleMania 3. This is right after WrestleMania 3 that Ted came in. And um, and Funk said, just take the deal. You know, this guy's a genius. This company is, you know, just blowing everybody else away. You need to be part of it. So um, that was part of the reason why Ted DiBiase became the million dollar man because Terry Funk, you know, recommended that he accept Vince McMahon's offer, even though Ted didn't know what the uh, the gimmick of the persona would be. And that is ins- it's insane when you think about it, that, that you know, because that must have been a hard decision because you don't know what you're going to be made to be. Are you going to be well, adorable Adrian Adonis? Are you going to be, you just don't the know. Red, red Rooster. Yeah. Well, the Red Rooster hadn't happened at that point, but you know what I mean. Of that level, yeah. Um, but I was going to ask you, because obviously you interviewed him a couple of times, Terry Funk, 95 and then again in 97, 98? Nine, yeah, 95 and 98. That's right. And what were your experiences like uh, interviewing him? Because I saw a lot of people saying that he was a real pleasure to talk to. He was, yeah, he was. I mean, he made so much time for, for you know, Power Slam was very little known magazine in 1995, wasn't really selling very many copies. And, um, yeah, did this extensive career, you know, retrospective interview with him. And, um, yeah, I mean, he just... He was just, you know, it's like Kenny. Some people, when you're doing interviews with them, they can't wait to get away. Um, and Terry was just like, he had all the time in the world for Power Slam. And we spoke again in in uh, late 98 um, after he'd returned to ECW. And we talked about his WWF return in 97, you know, winning the ECW uh, title at Barely Legal and various other things as well. Sushi Anita, the business in Japan. You could talk to Terry Funk about anything. You know, he was so well-versed in the business. And he had this, you know, total recall of things that happened in the past. And he'd reached that point where he he knew he could say basically anything because he had that legendary status and he was always going to be able to find work somewhere. So, you know, he, you know, he put the boot in. You know, he, let, he, he, would, he would be honest with you when it came to his feelings about certain performers – I mean, look at that 98 interview and what he said about Sushi Anita, you know, from <laughs> FMW. Um, you know, Anita was a guy whose whole career was based on Terry Funk, you know, his old ring style. He, has, he was never as good as Funk in the ring, but the whole crying and the, you know, lots of blood and seeking the sympathy of the audience. I mean, Anita's act was very much based on what Funk had done. So, um and, you know, he was really trashed Anita in that, which I was quite surprised by. But, yeah, he was, um, you know, it was a good egg was Terry Funk. He was a guy that always made time for, for Power Sam. If we asked him, you know, we always, you know, Power Sam, we always had a huge respect for who he was and, and what he had been and what he had done for the business and what he continued to do for the business. You know, he always has a, you know, wrote on Twitter, you know, he always made... Whichever company you work for and whomever he worked with, more interesting. And to me, there's no greater compliment than that. No, for sure. Well, the, la- the last thing that Terry Funk I was going to ask you about was, where-, where do you think Mick Foley would have been without Terry Funk? Do you think things would have been much different for Foley had he not had Funk as a kind of mentor type person? Yeah, that's right. Foley also, of course, looked up to Terry Funk. I mean, that was why Foley went over and worked for the IWA, because Terry Funk was there. And um, he was like, you know, and obviously became King of the Death Match in um, August of 95, it would have been. Um, Funk put him over and that was a huge, huge deal for for Foley. Um, I mean, I think Foley probably would have been all right. 
I think he probably would have still made it. Um, because if you look back what he was doing, you know, the he did the stuff in WCW and got over there. You know, and that, you know, Funk wasn't involved. And okay, you could say that Funk's style, you know, influenced Foley to an extent, uh, although Foley, you know, took more bumps than Funk ever did. Um, then he went to ECW and obviously Terry Funk was there. He might not have gone to ECW if Terry Funk was, wasn't there, but I think he would have done because, you know, Foley saw that this was the in place to be. You know, it was quite near where he lived. You know, it was decent money by indie standards. It was on TV and it was very good for his career. And it was, and he was very good for ECW as well. So it was, you know, mutually beneficial relationship. Um, and I think he would have possibly, he would have ended up in FMW probably had he not gone to IWA as an, uh, of an, as an opponent of Anita's, I think. I think that's what he would have done had he not gone to the IWA. Mm-hmm. Um, and the IWA was definitely, you know, the number two um, garbage promotion in Japan. And, and by a wide margin, FMW was number one. But I mean, FMW didn't pay its it stars very well. So, you know, I think he would have still gone because it would have been good for the publicity. Uh, and I think he still, still would have made it in uh, WWF as Mankind. I mean, that was a totally different character to anything that Funk had done before. Yeah. So, I, you know, you can say, well, you know, he, he influenced a lot of careers and obviously Terry Funk did, but I think Foley would have been all right and I think he would have made it anyway. And then my other last thing, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. If people are listening to this and they listen to us every week and they've not really seen a lot of Terry Funk, give them your suggestion. If they're going to watch something of Funk this weekend to kind of see what the hype was all about or just kind of watch something of his that they've never seen before, what would you recommend? Well, I think Great American Bash 1989 is a good starting point because it's Flair as an opponent. People know Flair. It's WCW. It's a big venue. Um, okay, if you look at it now, the production's not brilliant, but you know it look it looks pretty good. You know, it still it still looks all right. So I mean, I I definitely would suggest that. Um, I mean, the I Quit match with Flair that's a really good match as well. Um, I mean, there's loads of stuff in Japan. Um, I think sometimes the early '80s stuff just might feel a little bit too dated for people. Um. There's the crazy empty arena match he had with Jerry Lawler from 1981. I mean, that is one of the oddest things ever. And it it was not a success either. You know that? Even though it's a very famous match, it was not a success. Um, But I think that one there, I probably would um, recommend you watch that because it's just so out there. So such an off-the-wall idea, even though there were other empty arena matches. um, That one's worth checking out. Um, and I think probably as well the WrestleMania 14 match because you know that's a, a a modern era type thing. I know it's you know over 25 years ago now, but it's still sort of modern era. And I think you know Mankind, oh sorry, Cactus Jack and uh, Terry Funk or Chainsaw Charlie versus the New Age Outlaws in the dumpster match. I think that one's worth watching because it's decidedly modern flavor to it and. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, these these matches have got to be accessible, haven't they? You know, and if they're too dated or too, um, you know, and are too violent or too unpleasant or too um, too dissimilar to what people are used to now, it can be quite off-putting. So sometimes you need that familiarity. So I would start with those and then you get the feel for who Terry Funk was. 
And then just, I mean, so many matches out there, stuff we, you know, the famous Cactus Jack match from, I think, Hostel City Showdown in ECW. That was that was pretty crazy. Um, and there's all sorts of stuff from all Japan, you know, the famous, um, you know, tag team, real world tag team tournament finals from like the early 80s, from like 82 and 81. And, you know, hit their involvement, the Funks, Terry and Dory's involvement in... Um, in old Japan in the early eighties. I mean, just the heat for that is, is something else. So, um, but yeah, there's tons of stuff out there. What would you recommend, Kenny? What would, what do you, what would you say? Yes, this is a great introduction to Terry Funk. You know, it's funny enough, I would say watching that shotgun Saturday night segment with him is a good starting point, just because you can see what he's like when he's older. That he's, you know, I posted on Twitter. It's not on YouTube, unfortunately, but it's on Daily Motion, and you can see that he's, you know, he's an older guy. Austin's kind of on the rise. You know, he's not where he would be. And it's Funk basically kind of golden Austin in the segment as part of it. And it's really interesting, I think, to see this old guy who's kind of been put into the WWF land that he's not been in for 10 years. And he makes a really memorable impression, which, you know, you've got to say if he was brought back later that year, you know, even though he got heat, as he said to you in the interview about what he said, I mean, late, by the end of that year, they'd kind of changed their philosophy more to being like, well, you know, the rule book's out the window. There's no more good guys and bad guys and all that crap that Vince said. So, you know, it's almost like in some ways, unknowingly an audition for what might become his run later on. So I think that's worth watching. And then I really like the, it's not, the, the quality of the match in ring is, you could probably find far better Terry Funk ones, but I really like the Terry Funk Mick Foley match from Raw in 98. That, I, I really I, like the story of that because it's the whole story is that Foley's, you know, wrestling with himself as to what he's going to be and him and Funk just lost the tag titles the night after WrestleMania. There's a really good story into that. I, I'm, I'm trying to find the exact episode that it is on. Let me just find it. Tell you another one as well. Um, Funk's match with uh, Hulk Hogan. Yes. Tonight's main event, uh, broadcast January 4th, 1986. Um, that was that was one of Hogan's, you know, really good Hogan match from that era. Yeah, and 100%. Funk's puts on a hell of a one man show, which he did. He was famous for. And if you don't mind blood, maybe the Funk and Eater match from May nineteen ninety three with the exploding ring. If you're not seeing that, that's quite a yeah. spectacle. Yeah. Quite a spectacle is the understatement. <laughs> <laughs> and it, the Foley one is May fourth, nineteen ninety eight. So that's the raw episode of the network to watch it. But there's there's loads of Terry Funk stuff. I'm sure he will come up again soon. But I did think, Finn, you know, usually we always, the intro to the Power Slam podcast and the outro is always just the Power Slam theme, right? That's always kind of what it is. We don't change it. But I think for today, we should change it. Um, and we should play something. And I don't know how many people have heard this, but it's one of my favorites. So Terry Funk recorded an album in the 80s, which is just, I mean, if you want fun, go on YouTube and check it out. But I want to play one of the tracks that he had from that album, and it's called Barbara Streisand's Nose. That is the name of the song. And it's just absolute madness that Terry Funk recorded this song in the 80s. But um, I think we should close with one of his one of his songs from his... I mean, it wasn't a hit album, was it? It was an album. Oh, it no, was released. I mean, uh, very fitting, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll be back with the overrun tomorrow on Patreon. 
uh, on Friday, um, which we'll cover all in. Got some news as well. So, yeah, but hopefully we did Terry Funk a bit of justice by giving him some time, Finn. Yes, I, th- I think we did do it. I think we did do it. And he certainly, certainly deserved it. You know, I remember on Power Slam in, uh, in back in, uh, would have been 2013, I did like a compiled a, a list of uh, the 10 best US style all rounders. And uh, Terry Funk was number four on that list. So that's how highly he was regarded. Not a bad um, place to be. Yeah. Well, listen, here is, uh, here's Terry Funk's song from the 80s. Uh, thanks for listening, for all your support. We'll talk to you soon. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.